Hey family, welcome back to the second episode in our 10 Commandments series here on Devoted Devotions. My name is Tandy and I pray that we all learn valuable lessons ahead. Isaiah 42 verses 8 I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. Let's close our eyes as we invite the Holy Spirit to join us. Our Heavenly Father, we bow before you today and declare that you are the living God in every aspect of our lives. We surrender ourselves to you. Help us to hold nothing back. We invite you to rule in every part of our mind, soul, body, and spirit. We love you, Father, and we commit to trusting you with our entire beings. Help us to deny ourselves in order to take up our cross and follow you, Father. May you be the one to lead us to all that you have in store for us. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, Amen. The first command is about our loyalty to Yah, requiring us to place him above everything in our lives. He must be given priority. I realized that in the previous episode, I listed a few examples of um, how we could fail in this objective. Um, But I think it's important that I mention that it's not limited to that. The list is endless. Basically, consult him as much as you can, because even that is not enough. (laughs) The second one is about worship, more specifically, the worship of inanimate objects. Things that can be made with our own hands. So basically the first two commandments tackle the issue of idolatry. So let's begin with the first part of the second commandment. In Exodus 20 verses 4, You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in the heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. Other versions refer to them as graven images. So if we just read the first part alone, you might think that you're not allowed to make any physical object that um, looks like anything in the world, whether it's artistic or practical or anything in between. Since this command stresses that there are to be no representations of anything in the heaven above, in the earth or in the sea. And that's actually the vibe I used to get whenever someone would be teaching the commandments. It felt like I was being hit over the head with a book. Like, you shall not, you shall not, you shall not. When the truth is that when you present the word of Yah in a legalistic sense, people are not likely to be receptive to it. That's why we constantly break these laws. The aim of this series is to shed light on why these laws need to be kept and what breaking them means and how we break them because sometimes we do things because we don't know and when we know better we do better so when we read further we see the specifics of this instruction you shall not bow down to them nor serve them we are not to serve these objects we need to understand this truth fully before we move on 
some people will come in and try to twist this command and make it about not making sculptures or any artistic depiction but that's not what this is about it's about not making those depictions and worshiping them and by extension not revering anything made by hands as sacred if we were commanded not to make any such thing then yah's instructions to moses regarding the items placed in the tabernacle would have been in violation of his own law one example is the uh, heavenly messengers that are placed on top of the mercy seat in the ark of the covenant exodus 25 verses 18 you can check out the link in body soul and spirit if you have not yet that being said the children of israel fell into the habit of worshiping objects which was common practice of the heathen nations around them and our ancestors were quick to adopt heathen customs 16 you yourselves know how we lived in egypt and how we passed through the countries on the way here 17 you saw among them their detestable images and idols of wood and stone of silver and gold deuteronomy 29 verses 16 to 17 the children of israel our ancestors caused their hearts to turn away from yah because of the idols that they worshipped but this practice didn't come out of nowhere it came out of observing the actions of the nations around them guys beware of the things that the people around you are influencing you to do this is a wake-up call open your eyes because this is something that we are guilty of today. But this kind of worship doesn't involve bowing down physically, lest you disqualify yourself as having never broken this law. And the idols have been updated to fit modern times. And while this law still pertains to age old bowing down and worshiping statues, the worship of idols involves so much more it's a heart condition the worship of any kind of idol turns one's heart away from yah this is what yeshua was referring to when he spoke about um, storing up treasure do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy where thieves break in and steal but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew chapter 6 verses 19 to 21. Objects in and of themselves are harmless, right? It's, it's the value that we place on them that make them dangerous to us. In the parable of the sower, Yeshua used the third seed to represent the condition of the heart that applies to the idolater. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed, and all the other seeds fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. 18. Listen to what the parable of the sower means. 22. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, 
But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. This is found in Matthew chapter 13. The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches block us from being able to experience here. These create a heart condition that bears no righteous fruit. This is also something that's highlighted in the encounter with um, the rich young man. Verse 6, just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? 17, why do you ask me about what is good? Yeshua replied, there is only one good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. 18, which ones? He inquired. Yeshua replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony. 19. Honor your father and mother, love your neighbor as yourself. 20. All of these I've kept. What do I still lack? 21. If you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. 22. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. 23. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. This is found in Matthew chapter 19. A few points have to be made about this encounter. First being that having riches is not in and of itself the problem. If those riches do not consume the heart of the person. For example, King Solomon was rich beyond compare. King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. 1 Kings chapter 10 verses 23. But his riches are not counted as the thing that turned his heart away from Yah. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, they were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after other gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love and he had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines and his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not fully devoted to Yah, his Elohim, as the heart of David, his father, had been. This is found in 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 1 to 4. So just to reiterate, the worship of idols comes down to a heart condition. One's heart is filled with adoration, desire, and longing for all these things. And so this effect takes the place of Yah. This is true of any item that we might hold dear, cars, houses, phones, 
riches, money, designer items, anything, any possession that we can get in this world. We have to be ready to give it up and go when he says so. And with money, because it allows us to accumulate all of these possessions, if one allows money to consume them, then they become a servant of money. And Yah cannot be served along with money. No one can serve two masters. Either you hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both Elohim and money. Matthew 6 verses 24. And the more money people have, the more possessions they gather up for themselves. With the rich young man, we're told that he went away sad because he had many possessions. He went away. This is so unfortunate. He turned away from Yeshua. He turned away from, from salvation. And guys, this is where the problem lies for those of us who cling to our possessions. Because they become a crutch. They become a deity. You start seeing the things around you as a safeguard. And it stems from the cares of this world. Because of our fear of going hungry, we store up food beyond measure. We have bigger houses than we need, more clothes and shoes than we can even use. And this can be said about most of our possessions. And essentially, this is the, the young man's weakness. He was asked to give it up. He was asked if he kept all the commandments, and he said he did. But when Yeshua tests him on the second commandment, he can't do it. So that wasn't true, was it? Because he didn't keep all the commandments. His possessions were more important. When he was ordered to give it up, he couldn't because his heart was on earthly possessions. He had the heart of an idolater. And just like that, Yeshua exposed his weakness. Just in case someone is thinking, ah, well, I'm not rich, so none of this applies to me. I hope you guys understand that you don't have to be rich in order to worship money or possessions. The cares of this world lead to the love of money and the worship of money and possessions. Matthew 6 verses 25 tells us to guard against this. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat and what you will drink. Or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? This teaches us to trust Yah, not possessions or money. He that trusts in riches shall fall, but the righteous shall flourish as a branch. Proverbs 11 verses 28. In fact, there's a greater danger in chasing wealth. A faithful person will be richly blessed, but one eager to get rich will not go unpunished. Proverbs 28 verses 20. How many times have we seen young men and women getting into terrible situations in an attempt to make money? In an attempt to buy an iPhone? 
young men selling drugs, young women selling themselves for all of these material possessions, possessions that will inevitably burn in the end. John tells us to love not the world, neither the things of the world. And if any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Then John describes what the world has to offer in verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but it is of the world. The lust of the flesh and the eyes both stem from the heart. We see something and we instantly want it. This is what Israel did when they looked at the heathen nations with their aesthetically pleasing idols of gold and silver. They saw it and they wanted it. And this is what we do when we envy those around us and we long for their lifestyle. This is what leads to idolatry. Israel was warned repeatedly not to follow after heathen nations and not to adopt those practices. We actually looked at one of these warnings in Spiritual Adultery, Deuteronomy 12 verses 29 to 32. Then Yah, your Elohim, will cut off before you the nations you are about to invade and dispossess. But when you have driven them out of the land and settled in their land, and after they have been destroyed before you, be careful not to be ensnared by inquiring about their deities, saying, how do these nations serve their gods? We will do the same. You must not worship Yah, your Elohim, in their way. Because in worshipping their gods, they do all kinds of detestable things that Yah hates. They even burn their sons and daughters in the fire as sacrifices to their deities. See that you do all I command you. Do not add to it or take away from it. Even though they were warned, Israel still followed the practices of the surrounding nations. Verses 34, they did not destroy the people as the Lord had commanded them, but they mingled with them. They adopted their customs. They worshipped their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to false deities. Psalms 106 verses 34 to 37. Since we've been in the land of our captors, we've been copying their heathen practices as well. We long for unnecessary possessions, wealth and fame, and we idolize those items they create to our children and teach them to idolize these things as well. Then they grow up longing for many possessions. Yeshua warned us about this in Luke chapter 12 verses 15. He said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. The second command, Exodus 20 verses 4 to 6. Whatever possessions you feel like you can't live without, the ones that you find it hard to walk away from, those are the idols that you're bowing down to. 
if you're a person who can't live without your iPhone or can't live without your MacBook or can't live without your car or your house or your Gucci bag, you're, you're bowing down to an idol. If your priority in, in doing things so that you could accumulate more and more and more than you ever need, more than you'll ever use in your lifetime, your heart is not in a right place, is not in a right state. Your heart is distracted by the cares of this world. And I encourage you to remove these idols in your life so that you may be able to hear the voice of God and turn to him and speak to him and have him pour into you. Repent of these things. So let's look at a case study though before we conclude. Um, 1 Kings chapter 18 verses 17 to 14. Okay, I encourage you to read this in your own time as um, I'm just going to paraphrase and emphasize on a few verses. We'll start with verse 17. When Ahab saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. But you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's command and have followed the Baals. Okay, so at this time, Israel is in a state of drought and because the king sinned against Yah. And when he's being punished for his idolatry, he blames it on someone else. Isn't that something that we do? We blame other people when we are the problem. Like when we sin and there are consequences, all of a sudden, God isn't fair. He's not loving. He is the troubler in my life, not me and my sin. (laughs) As if we deserve better. Anyways, verse 21. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? Yeah, it's a loaded question. How long? Will you, listener of devoted devotions, waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. Our God will not tolerate rivals. Remember our memory text? He said, I will not share my glory with another. Our God is a jealous God. And unfortunately, there are people who don't like that. I know um, Oprah Winfrey has mentioned that she left Christianity because of this teaching. She says, isn't jealousy a bad thing? And um, so if God is doing it, doesn't that make God guilty of violating his own principles since we shouldn't be jealous? And honestly, that's it's, it's foolishness. It's, it's foolish talk. Because, of course, God is a jealous God. He has to be. Guys, if if there is only one God, and that one God acknowledges another God, another God that doesn't exist, then that one God is guilty of idolatry. God has to be a jealous God because there is no other God whom he can share his glory with. I, however, on the other hand, have no right to be jealous because I am not God. 
he must be a jealous God because all the glory, all the honor and all the worship, all the praise are due to him and him alone. He is God all by himself. He is God. Basically, Elijah is saying that you don't get to go between God and Baal. One of them is God and the other is not. How long will you keep wavering between these two opinions? He's also emphasizing that you can't worship God like this. It's not acceptable. God doesn't smile on us when we say, Okay, God, I'll give you the majority of the worship, but but I'm just gonna I'm gonna give a little worship over here as well. You cannot rob God of a little worship. It's like it's like being a little pregnant. You either are or you aren't. Amen. <laughs> the moment you offer worship to anyone or anything else then you've said that Yahweh is insufficient. You're saying that God is good, but you need something more for certain areas of your life. Guys, it doesn't work like that. And I know someone's thinking, well, why would God be upset if he's getting most of the worship? It's almost like asking why a wife would be upset if she gets most of the time compared to the girlfriend. For three years, there hasn't been a single drop of water from the sky. So when he proposes the spiritual duel, they meet on a mountain and the terms are laid out and agreed to. Basically, they'll both go up, put up an offering on an altar, and the God who answers with fire and consumes the offering, that is the real one that the people should worship. And after everything that Yah had done for Israel, he had to prove himself to them. They wanted him to prove himself. This is so unfortunate. They didn't hear these terms and plead for Elijah to not go through with it. They were unrepented. They were arrogant now. They had 450 prophets of Baal against just Elijah. Now, this false god is depicted as holding lightning. Surely a god who holds lightning in his right hand can start a fire, right? The odds seem to be in Baal's favor. So the duel begins. The false prophet starts singing and nothing happens. 27 to 29. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy traveling. Or maybe he's just sleeping and needs to be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. It didn't happen. The sad thing is that there are people who are more offended that Elijah is mocking those prophets 
then they are offended that these people are committing idolatry with Baal. The King James Version literally um, says that he said, maybe your God is in the toilet, call him louder. You see, these people believed that their numbers will arouse God. They believe that maybe their fervor will arouse God. If, if we are passionate enough, if we are loud enough, if we work ourselves into a frenzy, then that will arouse God. Maybe if we beat and cut ourselves until we bleed and, and the blood is streaming down, then God will do something. Have you ever been to a service like this? Believing that somehow us having our breakthrough and us receiving from the Lord requires that we get worked up into a frenzy. There has to be enough praise in the room for God to be attracted and to hear us. And we get addicted to this because we believe just like the worshippers of Baal, that our God is moved by emotion. So if we show enough of it, then we will get what we're after. Dear friend, that is a pagan way of thinking. It's idolatry. It's idolatry. Now, I'm not saying don't be emotional. I'm saying don't believe that your emotions are the key that unlock the will of God. We focus on having enough emotion, fervor, and passion, which means that we believe in something other than God to get to God. The picture it paints is that God is sitting there in heaven with his arms crossed, and if we get loud enough, then, then he will bless us. This is idolatry. It didn't work for the prophets of Baal, and it is not going to work for you. Then we see this practice being defeated. Elijah calls them. He sets up the altar in the name of the Lord with the 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of the sons of Jacob. He makes a trench. Why does he do this? Why 12? He's reminding the people of their covenant with God. He's reminding the people of God's faithfulness. Whilst he's also showing how unfaithful God's people were. Elijah was not about to manipulate Yah or try to twist God's arm and, and make him have to respond. Elijah was reminding the people of their idolatry. And reminding them of the God that they had forsaken. This was about restoring the worship of an almighty God. 33 to 34. Do it again. And they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered. And they did it a third time. The water ran down the altar. And even filled the trench. Now remember what, what setting we're in. They are in the middle of a drought at this time. The drought caused by their idolatry. And here Elijah is about to call on his God 
and he's saying take the water and waste it do it again 37 elijah prays answer me lord answer me so these people will know that you lord are god and that you are turning their hearts back again 39 they realize their mistake and i think it's important to understand that Elijah wasn't a miracle worker. Elijah is not a miracle worker. Everything that Elijah did was for the glory of God. So in verse 40, we see the punishment for idolatry. It seems a bit excessive, right? Wrong. Not if you understand idolatry. Guys, this is the fate of idolaters. Idolatry is the sin of sins because ultimately, whatever sin you're committing, you're saying that God is not God. You're saying that his yes is not yes and his no is not no. And his judgment will surely not come. It's, it's idolatry. It's completely and utterly unacceptable to God. It is so unacceptable that they slaughtered all 450 prophets that day. This is Israel's repentance. And unfortunately, this thought makes us feel uncomfortable. Mainly because we know that we are guilty of this. We are guilty of this very sin that they lost their lives over. And secondly, we believe that idolatry isn't that important it can't be that big of a deal it's not worth dying over but jesus did christ died for sin the wrath of god was poured out on the son of god for your idolatry if you belong to him but if you don't then your end will basically be a magnified version of what happened on that mountain. Either Christ dies for your idolatry or you do. There is no in between. We were made by God and for God. There is only one God and we owe to him everything, everything that we have, everything that we are. And yet we turn to worship the creature rather than the creator. When we do that, no hope remains for us. Whom do you worship? Whom do you worship? I'm not asking you if you go to church. Who do you worship? The thing is, guys, you can go to church and commit idolatry. You can go to church because you believe that it's part of your payment plan. If you pay enough money, then God owes you. You can be one of those people who go to church to twist God's arm and cause him to have to owe you something. Thinking that after church, you can approach him and tell him, Okay, God, I've done my part now. Now you do yours because you owe me. That is not true worship of the one true living God. 
Remember, God is a spirit. Those who worship him must do so in spirit and in truth. We can go to church and be guilty of idolatry. Some people even go to church with things in their pockets that are objects of worship. In the church building, you worship the one true God, but in your heart, you're an idolater. You can go to church and be so overwhelmed by a burning desire to leave because the thing that you really worship or the thing that you really want to worship is out there waiting for you. And after you tick this box, then you'll go and give your true worship. You'll give your real worship. And God says, I will not share my glory with another. This is a sin that resides in our hearts. A sin that has to be continually rooted out. Revelations 22 says, Blessed are those who wash their robes that they might have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. They don't get in. That's how serious this is. Christ does not come as our prophet, priest, and king to say to us, I'm here to offer you help as long as you do the best that you can. He doesn't come here and say, I'm here to be added on to whatever is the most important in your life so that I can boost the effectiveness of it. That's not who Yeshua is. He came here and he said, everything else is false. Everything else is wicked. Everything else is useless. He comes to be prophet, priest, and king. And there is room for nothing else. So ask yourself, have I come to him in that way? Am I really ready to receive him? Is there space for him? Is he your prophet, your priest, and your king? Or is he something to add on? Have you come to Christ and turned from sin and turned from self-reliance and turned from all other worship of any, any other thing in order to offer worship to him and him alone? Or are you still believing in Jesus and ancestors or traditional healing? Jesus plus manifestation, astrology, or a prophet who can interpret dreams. The reality is that it's Jesus or he will not be an add-on. He will not be an extra. He will not compete for the throne of your life. He does not compete for anything. It's his. Dear Jesus, I pray that all the idols 
are burned up in our lives today, that we might recognize and delight in the fact that there is no one else and nothing else in the throne of our lives but Christ. And that's fine because Christ is enough. Christ is everything. This is the God we worship, the God who frees us and loves us so unconditionally giving thanks to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in. I pray that we all open our hearts to the word and allow it to transform us so that we can become more like Christ. On the next episode, we will look at the third commandment. If you've learned something new, please share the episode with a friend or two so that we can all learn and be blessed. From your host, Tandy, thank you for listening. Stay blessed.